So the footnote in your Bible would tell you that a denarius is the customary day's wage. Presumably, if someone received a denarius that day, the wage would be enough to meet their most basic needs. A home, medical care, sufficient food, and clothing. The day's wage would sustain that person until the next day's wage could be earned. And as cool a concept as I find that, it's also a concept that doesn't exist in our world. You could easily make the argument that the minimum wage at its inception was rooted in the understanding, in this understanding of the world, that there is a fair wage and people deserve that. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was president when the minimum wage was established in 1938, is now often quoted on the internet that is actually from a speech he gave five years earlier in 1933. It seems to me to be equally plain that no business which depends for existence on paying less than living wages to its workers has any right to continue in this country. By business, I mean the whole of commerce as well as the whole of industry. By workers, I mean all workers, the white-collar class as well as the men in overalls. And by living wages, I mean more than a bare subsistence level. I mean the wages of a decent living. By the time the minimum wage was established five years later, he was railing against the heads of companies making their profits by underpaying their workers. Now, fast forward more than a few years, and we know that the era of a sustainable minimum wage is gone, though there are many people fighting for a higher minimum wage. When exactly that wage became no longer sustainable is up for debate. Anywhere between 1968 and 1984 comes into conversation, depending on who you're talking to. But no matter where you land, the reality is that you can't sustain a household on the current minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. And somehow our cultural values are wrapped up in that conversation about pay for workers. We value hourly work rather than daily work. We value some work and disvalue other work. And our economy simply skips over some people. We are so used to talking about value when it comes to both goods and work. And then we're faced with this story from Jesus that is actually about justice rather than value. A few weeks ago now, I asked the folks who come to Bible study on Sunday morning for their suggestions of, on sermons over the summer. The lectionary that we normally follow gets more than a little weird in these long summer months, so I generally like to take a break. And one of the responses was an affirmative list of what we do as progressive Christians. We're often really good at saying what we don't do, but we struggle with naming what we do. And the list that I came up with at the end of the day might have very little to do with progressive or not. It is about authentically and intentionally living into the gospel of Jesus Christ. So while I chose this story of workers in the vineyard, I also confess with you, 
to you that this has never been one of my favorite stories. In fact, I was pretty happy to preach on anything else when it did come up in the lectionary. And then I read some of the work of a Christian ethicist teaching at Iliff School of Theology in Denver. His name is Miguel de la Torre. He's of Cuban descent. He grew up primarily in New York. He was ordained by the Southern Baptists. And he writes a lot about Jesus from a Hispanic perspective and Jesus from a poor perspective. And so his challenge to us runs deep as he recasts the story of a vineyard owner as a factory owner, which is more likely to be told in our economy. And so he writes, to read this parable from the perspective of the poor is to recognize that the factory owner, or any employer for that matter, has a moral responsibility toward the laborers a responsibility that goes beyond what traditional capitalist thinking defines as just. Jesus, himself coming from poverty, was aware of the laborer's plight. He fully understood that poverty prevented those who were created in the image of God from participating in the abundant life that he came to give. In his parable of the employer hiring worker, Jesus attempts to teach economic justice so that all can have life abundantly. It was not the laborer's fault that they failed to find employment that day. They woke in the early pre-dawn, walked to the spot where potential employers came to find workers, and waited. And whether or not they were chosen to work that day, they still needed a full day's wage to meet their basic needs, food, shelter, and clothing. So, we're not very good at naming sins a lot of the time. But let's be clear that there is a sin that our culture names as a virtue rather than a vice. And that sin is greed. It's at the root of advertising that tells us there's never enough. It's at the root of an economy that relies on exploitation. Exploitation like CEOs who earn 325 times as much as their employees. That was in 2010. Exploitation like a family with two young children working at minimum wage, making roughly half of what they need to cover basic expenses and save for retirement and emergencies. Exploitation that means we demand cheap goods without thinking about the cost. Exploitation that means instead of greed, we talk about profit margins. And the higher the profit, the better. So we have this story from Jesus that offers an antidote to greed. And I would take from that two things. Be generous and seek justice. And I name those two things because they are similar but distinct. And especially helpful for talking about each of our lives. And then our lives together. So each of us, I think we know, is called to be generous with our resources. In our economy, built as it is on currency, that especially means our money. And I'm guessing that comes fairly easy to most of us. Last night, 25 homeless neighbors had a place to sleep in this building and a hot dinner. And that is a very basic act of generosity, your generosity. Buying and cooking food, taking a few hours out of your day to help someone else. 
And I'm guessing most of you are generous in that way often. The person standing beside the road asking for a dollar gets the dollar or two while you're stopped at that light. You pick up the hitchhiker and take them a little farther on their way. I know you bring items for drives we do here from time to time. The Christmas presents and school supplies, the refugees' needs, and of course, peanut butter. We know how to be generous in that way, and I think we even know how to be generous in the next way. When we talk about tithing, because here's the thing, though. It becomes harder to be generous when you see no immediate benefit. So we do talk about tithing, giving money to the church more than just one time a year around here. At least I try to. And I'm even firm in my conviction that everyone should tithe, giving away a full 10%. You've heard me say before, though, I hope, that we do consider 10% of what? If your budget is tight and you don't have much money for extra things, then you tithe on the extra that you do have. If your extra money for a week or even a month is $10, then you give 10% of that, even if only a dollar. A sign that your faith is in something else. If you're doing pretty okay, your bills are all paid, and you have a good amount of discretion in how you're spending your money, then you give away 10% of what is there after taxes, your net income. That's where I fall in this rank of tithing. And then if you're really comfortable, you have everything you need and then some, you tithe on your full income. You write the check to the church based on what you make before taxes, but everyone tithes. Everyone tithes even though that 10% is intangible. It doesn't buy you anything like a trip to Target does. So let's say you've gotten to that space of being generous. How does that generosity continue? How does it continue in how you spend the rest of your money? How do you move closer to the vision of justice that Jesus described? In other words, how do you ensure that the people you interact with day to day receive their daily wage? enough to sustain them and their families. Do you know the wages of the people at the stores where you shop? Do you know how many part-time employees they have versus full-time employees? One of the most exploitive things happening right now is workers who are kept at low enough hours that companies do not have to offer benefits. Do you know what benefits they are offering? Sick time, health insurance, how many hours do they have to work to get those benefits? And here's the thing, if you're shopping at chain stores, as most of us do, you can find that information easily. What about the people who cut your hair, change your tires? Are you willing to pay more for a good or service because you know the person providing that particular good or service is earning a living wage? Maybe even the thing Church people have a reputation of being bad at. Do you tip well? Servers in Arizona make $3 an hour. Their employer is required to make up the difference to get them up to a minimum wage if they make less than that in tips. And the list could go on and on. Most of us, including me standing here in a dress from Old Navy, 
are wearing clothes that are created at the expense of human rights. But we still have this biblical mandate to assure people receive sufficient resources from their work to sustain their life. And it's not charity. It's God's justice. And it's one of the farthest reaching effects of sin. So that means that, yes, our own generosity calls us to do what we can to see that our neighbors receive their daily wage, even at cost to ourselves. But here is the place at which we move from personal generosity to seeking justice together. You and I have limited resources. We cannot meet our neighbor's needs on our own. We cannot ensure that every neighbor we have receives a daily wage. And even if each of us is as generous as we possibly could be, it's not enough. So together we seek justice that reaches beyond us. How becomes a lot of different ways. I think it's good for us to note that we begin with our church choosing to pay living wages, especially to our support staff who are part-time employees. The lowest wage we pay is $12.50 an hour. That wage is to our nursery attendant. Most preschool teachers in this area are making between $9 and $10 an hour, with $10 an hour being on the high side. Our quarter-time secretary receives paid vacation and accrues sick time. And we hope these little things move us somehow towards God's justice. And if we're going to talk about justice, of course we should talk about our justice ministries named because we're talking about precisely these things. Hopefully by now you've heard of the lending circles we're trying. Many of our neighbors who already don't make enough money struggle to meet their needs even more when there's an unexpected expense. They don't have access to things like credit cards. So they end up at payday lending companies or title loan companies. Now, Arizona has banned payday loans, but title loans are thriving. The interest is capped by state law at a mere 29%. And you get to pay additional fees at the beginning. Those fees push the rate up to around 35% which is double, actually, the, the rate of my credit card, more than seven times the rate that I pay on my auto loan. And title loans now can be obtained even if you don't own your car. In other words, they give you a loan on the equity based on what you've already paid into your car. The worst part of all, the average amount needed through those loans is $200. So often people end up in a vicious cycle that means they never ever pay off debt that originated as a few hundred dollars. Lending circles respond by creating a group of five to 12 people who agree to put a small amount of money in a pool each month. That model won't help the people living in a subsistence level, but it will help the people working to move beyond that subsistence level. Each month, every person puts in a designated amount of money, and one person gets to spend the money in a particular way, often for things like a security deposit on an apartment or a down payment on a car. In the model, we're hoping to use people pay no interest on the money, and they have those on-time payments reported to credit bureaus. 
they have checking accounts and learn about checking accounts, something that many people in poverty do not. They learn money management skills along the way. And it's at least a small move toward a more just economy. If it works, I still have hope that we can figure out other partners to offer low or no interest small dollar loans because no one should be destroyed by a few hundred dollars. Now I confess, it feels weird to talk about money this intensely for an entire sermon. But Jesus talked about money roughly a third of the time in the Gospels. Talking about both generosity and economic justice is an intensely Christian thing to do. And this parable of the workers hoping to go to the vineyard is a reminder of our hope for God's justice. And that we are called to seek out that justice in our midst, in our economy, in our lives. We are called to be generous and to seek justice as followers of Christ. Amen.